there's a liberating quality to that to just not have to worry about anything about yourself and just have your whole purpose be directed to um, someone else. But it has to come from like a sort of voluntary position when it's done like voluntary and when it's done with like proper com compensation. And then it, I think it can be a quality that we nowadays tend to dismiss too often. Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by my fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. Before we begin, if you enjoy our show and want to help us keep it going, you can support us in two ways. Uh, the first is to listen to Cinema of Meaning on Nebula which lets you enjoy each episode completely ad-free and a week early. The second way is to join our Discord community on Patreon, where you can discuss movies with us and with fellow listeners. Both Nebula and Patreon will also give you instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes, which by now has grown into a significant catalogue. For more information, check out the description, you'll find everything you need in there. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning, now on to the show. Thomas, you are a big fan of Wes Anderson. This is true. I think true. probably a lot more than I am. Yeah, that's probably um, fair. I like him too, but it uh, the, there's not a lot of movies that really have that I really have that deep of a connection to. Um, and for some reason, like his style is kind of like whimsical, which I can admire but not that deeply connect to always um but at the same time i do really uh admire him from for really having like a true voice of his own um you know you see it a lot in people who try to em emulate or to imitate him which always falls a little bit flat which for me only goes to show that there's more to wes anderson than just the visual presentation of his movies that gets talked about most often, uh, which I'm sure we'll also get into with uh, yeah. our discussion on Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think is his most one of his most popular ones, right? At least uh, here it was. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's it's probably his most widely acclaimed. It's the one I see thrown out most frequently as like the best. Uh, although, like a lot of people who are into Wes Anderson have their own personal favorite, you know, personal favorites, um, mm -hmm. you know, that might be older ones, but, uh, but yeah, I think just in terms of broad popularity, it's also, I think it, it marked kind of a new phase in terms of his style visually, where it felt like when he hit the Grand Budapest hotel, it felt like this was something that he had kind of almost been building towards throughout his career. Um, and uh, so I think that was really interesting to people who liked that to see kind of this like intensification of everything about his style. Um, and he's kind of only continued along that, that thread since then. Um, so I think this one also marks just like kind of the height, maybe not the peak, but like a new height mm -hmm. in terms of that whimsy and color, the color palettes and all the things that, you know, people like. The, the people who like those things like about yeah, the Wes yeah. Anderson movie usually. But also I think this, this one and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the nitty gritty, but like, I think this one has a really compelling character at its core. Um, yes. Singular mm -hmm. character in a way that I don't want to say like the other Wes Anderson films before this didn't have necessarily, like, I think there's compelling characters throughout, but you know, if you look at something like the Darjeeling Limited, it's more of an ensemble piece. There's no like one central character there. Um, Moonrise Kingdom is these two kids, you know, that it's kind of fun. But again, it's more of this like ensemble cast where, you know, you're you're engaging with this story. Um, but the central character of Gustav H in this and Ray Fine's performance and just kind of the focus on that character and then with, and the duo of him and Zero kind of at its core, um, hmm, I think yeah. like made this one 
one that maybe was is a little bit more um emotionally access even underneath all the layers of like aesthetic whimsy that are happening it is more emotionally accessible um one of the more emotionally accessible movies that he's had in a had in a while leading up to this one if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah no definitely i remember um my issue what with a lot of uh anderson's previous movies was usually that they're I could see that they would have these genuinely great moments, but they were always kind of, for me, a little bit almost obstructed by the style, which would sometimes uh, overwhelm the more genuineness yeah. that the movies also contain. Like, still one of my favorite moments in any movie really is in um, uh, what's the name right now? The the, the scuba. Oh, um, Steve Zissou, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that one, that's that moment where they go down in the submarine and they encounter like this shark, which yeah. uh, was like the bane of Bill Murray's existence. And then <laughs> yeah. just uh, kind of, uh, you know, he's on this quest to destroy this creature and then he sees it. And the only thing that he says is, oh, I, I wonder if it remembers me. And for some reason that kind of stuck with me ever since i haven't even seen the, i've only seen the movie once but for some reason that line uh always stayed with me even though i thought the movie up until that moment i wasn't i was kind of enjoying the movie but also i wasn't that deeply invested in it until like that moment happened um but yeah for me the grand budapest hotel is one that's more consistently filled with that emotional through line that uh I find really resonating and also very uh, thematically interesting. Um, I think there's some hidden philosophies in there that I'm not sure I've seen a lot of people talk about, uh, but I'm sure we'll we'll get into. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you said, it's just it feels like his style was kind of building up to this, whatever, however you would describe this, like this is that this was his ultimate voice or vision. Even though he he has been expanding on it ever since, I think the French Dispatch feels very similar, but it also innovates in some new little ways, um, which the Grand Budapest Hotel didn't yet, or which he didn't do yeah. for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Even though I enjoyed the French Dispatch uh, a lot less, um, I'm looking forward to Asteroid City, though I haven't seen that one yet. It's getting good good buzz though and i think yeah. um it, it looks like it looks like it has maybe more of a return to a certain form of story like the grand budapest that we didn't see in um the french dispatch which i really loved but i think like if you if you place his films on kind of this spectrum where you have like these more personal stories of something like rushmore where it's about this character and there's kind of some emotion to mm -hmm. engage with there or just the the like opposite end of that spectrum where it's it's just about sort of dissecting and appreciating it aesthetically or like it's very dense and it's about all these little clever in jokes and um literary devices and all like all of this kind of stuff it's like the french dispatch was the peak of that i mean it's three four different stories so there's no like real um uh, like story to sink your hands into in the same way that there is uh in uh some of the others so i think like i understand like i like that one because i like all the little those little things about his movies but i completely mm -hmm. understand why there's a lot of people who don't because it's just like you know if you want if you want a, if you want like a, an actual story with a character that's like doing on a journey or you know like going on an arc or something you kind of get those within each micro story but it's not the same so yeah uh but that that said i think asteroid city looks more like maybe a, re a return to that um mm -hmm. we'll see but yeah i i think it's interesting to see not to get too sidetracked into all his other movies but um i think it's interesting to see since the grand budapest hotel i think he's become more almost surreal as a filmmaker so um yeah i'm i'm fascinated to see how things continue to develop from here um 
because like I said, I th- this one felt like he hit a new height, but, and I think nobody was like, where do you go beyond this one? But it, it, mm-hmm. he's continuing to find ways to, <laughs> to like do mm-hmm. his thing in a new and unique to way. To ramp it up even further. Yeah. yeah. So I, I yeah. have one general question to sure. a, to a true like Wes Anderson fan. Like, what do you think his style what purpose does it serve ultimately like why does he do you think he makes movies in the way that he does i think he he uses the same style to touch on various on on various different stories and very different genres almost yeah um so yeah i'm curious what you think that why does he tell stories this way right um my take on it and maybe this is sounds Mm -hmm. a little bit like a cop-out but this is my honest belief and i kind of unravel this in there's a big long wes anderson video i made called uh why are wes anderson movies like that and um my take on it is that i think he genuinely loves the act of storytelling and sees like how you tell a story and all of the little tiny ways in which you can embellish a story as interesting and as fun and as sort of like valid as pursuits in and of themselves as the actual content of the story that's i think that's just like a a a certain approach that some people are going to really appreciate and some people find that to be like a barrier to actually connecting with um Mm -hmm. with the story but it's it's a very I hate to throw this term out there because it maybe sounds a little pretentious, but um, it it strikes me as a kind of like literary approach in some ways where there's certain books I read where it's like there's certain writers where it's not so much about the story you're getting across. We talked about Haruki Murakami uh, a while ago, I think when we when we did um, Burning um, Mm -hmm. and also we've talked about Drive My Car, but he's he's one of those authors where what is even happening in those books it's you know it's like hard to tell but you're in this like mood and atmosphere um and it's about how the story is being told uh and wes anderson isn't the only person who does this in film there are lots of other like david lynch is another example where it's like it's much more about the atmosphere of his films the mood what like what you're feeling than it is about the the plot that's happening on screen um, mm-hmm. but I think the way Wes Anderson is doing that is unique from how anyone else is doing it, where it has a certain, it, it has like a storybook quality to it, mm-hmm. um, that I really think, you know, nobody else is, is, is touching on. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I do think it's genuinely think like, answer, yeah. <laughs> he, he, the, I've read all the like, Matt Zoller cites interviews and um, he doesn't do a lot of press, but like the impression I get from everything that he says about his work is that he does it this way really because he just, that's the way he wants to do it. He like likes it and there's not a whole (laughs) lot. There's not like a whole lot more to it than, than that, which maybe isn't like the deepest like, uh, approach but i think there's there's something about that that i genuinely that genuinely resonates with me because it's it's fun uh and there's just sort of like a um kind of a carefree uh nature to that although that stands in playfulness Uh, yes yeah but that stands in stark contrast to the like also the rigidity of it and the sort of meticulous like controlling control Mm. and the like deep melancholy that i think is there especially in this movie but in a lot of his movies as well it's kind of like uh kubrick but for sad children (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so i don't know maybe uh, one thing i think that might bridge us into this this actual movie was you Mm -hmm. know i was thinking this time watching it i've seen this a bunch of times this was probably my fifth time or something like that Um, but one thing I was thinking about watching this was like how much this is a story about 
somebody who's kind of like entering into trying to hold on to this thing or trying to um trying to participate in a culture and a society that they're not really a part of um there's that line towards the end where the older zero played by marie f abraham says like uh about gustav h says oh what what how does that line go he says something like about I th- gustav or yeah he says it about gustav he's like uh I have one quote written down that I really liked where it says, like, to be frank, I think his world had vanished long before he ever entered it. But I yes. will say he certainly sustained the illusion with a marvelous grace. Right. That right. one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Um, I was thinking about that and that aspect of the character. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that was written to be specifically about um, Wes. Uh, but I I was thinking about this character and how it relates to, uh, you know, Wes Anderson as a creator of this film, um, and him mm-hmm. being like a guy from Texas who, you know, grew up in the middle of of Texas. Like there, yeah, yeah. This world that he's depicting in this film is like the furthest thing you could imagine from like the middle of you know, Houston, I think is where he's from or was, was from originally. And he just, he happened to make a short film with Owen Wilson that did really well at Sundance. And then he got paid to make bottle rocket. And then he just kept making movies. And now he lives in Paris. You know, he travels all over. He makes these crazy movies. He goes to Cannes film festival, but like he himself as a filmmaker is a guy who was just this guy in Paris. And then who was obsessed with like, Jacques Cousteau books and the New Yorker magazine like he he ha- he obviously had this passion for this like culture that doesn't exist in Paris and mm-hmm. uh and he has gone on to make these movies that really like aesthetically like taking on as much of that culture as possible and like really steeped in it they're very like you know Europe is a very central figure in like this movie and a lot of others and he's adopting all these other cultures into um into it and trying to really like appreciate them and showcase them but i do think there's like this sense in the midst of almost his filmmaking of like trying to um trying to like attain this thing that was never really his in a sense that was never like Mm. that he was never that he wasn't actually born into that. He was just like trying to participate in. And as he's trying to participate in it, the version of it that maybe he fell in love with or like dreamt of being a part of is kind of, you know, vanishing in a sense. Um, And that's really what, whether or not my assessment of um, that being Wes's life and his, relationship to this character is correct or not i think that's very much the like one of the central like elements of this story and one of the interesting parts about it but anyway mm-hmm. i've talked a lot so let's <laughs> let's let's talk i'll, about I'll look i'll calm down stop <laughs> ranting about wes anderson we can step back and maybe uh approach yeah. the movie more more structured mm-hmm. yeah just from the to begin at the very beginning like one of the thing i noticed I really noticed this time around is the kind of strangeness of this movie having essentially like three separate framing devices. Yes. Because it opens on this statue of this writer and there's some person who's then kind of honoring it or I don't remember exactly laying flowers on it or something like that. And then it cuts to that writer when he was still alive in his old age uh narrating about a time when he was younger and going to the grand budapest hotel where he then met the old zero or um mustafa i think he was then called and he mustafa then narrates the actual story set in the 1930s with (laughs) gustav so there's like yeah three layers of storytelling before we actually get to the real story story. yeah so I'm not sure what the point of that is, just to kind of bury us into the layers of history in a way that it felt it 
before the st story even begins, it already feels distant. You already feel yeah. like you've jumped in time backwards like three times now. And um, yeah, it does really emphasize that kind of deep sense of history or that this is some kind of ancient tale from someone who's now long gone and whose story was only survived because he told it to someone else who then yeah. wrote it down and is now gone himself. So there's these, I don't know, there's, this, there's a sense of history, but also the sense that history is kind of fleeting away. And like for every story that we see, uh, like of Gustav, like there's countless more that didn't even survive these two generations or the however long um, it takes from the, the first scene, the most present scene to the most, to the oldest one. So that I really liked. I'm, I'm guessing also that is, that, that was my take on it also, but um, I'm not sure if you uh, have anything to add on that or. No, I think, I think that's, um, that's a, a great summation of why that, I think like it's, it's to create this sense of, like you said, history. And also, like, by the time you get to that third layer, like, you really do feel like you're being told a story. Like, we're mm. we're removing ourselves from any sense that we're, like, what we're seeing is sort of, like, a depiction of the actual events. It's, like, it's it's kind of separating the viewer from that to be, mm -hmm. like, hey, you're you're being shown a story and when um you know that's why when like it cuts to an insert it's like a little picture object almost like somebody's holding it up out of the book or something it's like i don't know it's just a story being pieced together with mm -hmm. all these artifacts and and um yeah i don't know i like that element of it i think that sets us up for some of the most powerful moments to being in how that story is narrated and framed by the older um yeah. zero and uh we'll get we'll get to some of that down the line i think yeah i also find it interesting how it each layer shifts the perspective because in the oldest story it's really gustav's uh that was his name right gustav's story uh, ray finds this character right which then becomes the memory of zero or mustafa but then it becomes a book written by this author, and then the statue at the very beginning is an, of the author. <laughs> rem, yeah, is a yeah, it's in in honor of the author, not of the original character. So at the same time, there's a sense of history, but also a sense of being forgotten by history, even if you're even as your story sort of uh, echoes through those different stages. Which yeah, I don't know. I guess it kind of touches on that melancholy that you talked about earlier which is which tends to be present in a lot of anderson's movies that w whenever people talk about stories or storytelling there's that inherent sense of inevitably someone will be the last to tell your story or your story will just fade away entirely and uh, i don't know it's just a very nice premise um also reflected i guess by the state of the hotel itself which uh, by the time we're first shown it in the first flashback, 1985, I think it was, it's kind of like dilapidated. It's almost like a like a ruin of its former glory, and then it's only when we get like way deep into it, like deep into the layers of time, like the the 1930-ish story, that we see it in its full glory. And even then, I think it was. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the absolute like. Uh, heyday of that right. hotel because it was already on the precipice on like the second world war which turned it into a um, uh, sort of barracks it's mentioned at some point that it becomes like this nazi not necessarily fortress but just this place where um, it becomes like a tool of warfare instead of right um, an escape for for like people who want to experience a nice vacation or um however uh, gustav talks about it he's more poetic about right. <laughs> the function that the <laughs> hotel has but yeah uh i have a, i have a question for you in regards to this um like the so you mentioned like the second world war and it's obviously this very like european it has 
but it's a made-up country like Zubrovka, I think is the name of it. Uh, There's another one, Lutz, I think is also uh, just like an invented country. Um, And like, you know, they are, for all intents and purposes, Nazis in the movie. But like, instead of being the SS, they're the ZZ, the zigzag squad or or something. Mm -hmm. It's just like this like child storybook fantasy version of Europe. Um, which like is kind of, I don't know. I I don't know exactly what the purpose of that is, except to like place us deeper into like, this is just a a story kind of thing. But I was curious if like how like that, that's just like a funny, weird thing to me. But I was curious if that like makes any particular impression on you as a, as someone in Europe. Does it feel weirder or I don't know. I guess mm. you don't know how it feels outside no, of that. Uh, I wouldn't say so. I I think I experienced it in the same way that you did. Uh, but it for me, it almost feels like folklore. Like right. it, it, it is a story. Uh, if I didn't know who the uh, filmmaker was, I would have guessed it was someone who, who comes from like... Uh, Austria or you know some central European country, right? Um, who then kind of makes it tells this mythological tale about uh, an era of the uh, Second World War. But yeah, I kind of liked it. It feels because I do recognize elements like heightened elements of yeah how Europe can sometimes feel uh, even to this day. Like if you go to uh, like Switzerland or Australia or some of the uh, especially the more Eastern European countries, which this movie seems to be, or where this uh, fictional country is supposed to be positioned somewhere. Uh, maybe it's like a, there's like a small state, it's called Liechtenstein. Um, maybe it's something like that, which... Um, but anyways, it feels like it's positioned somewhere in there, and if you go down now, it does feel like there's stylistically, some of those tiny old quaint little villages can still invoke that same atmosphere where you can imagine like a story like this once took place and that it once also then in your sort of nostalgic memory it could look like this you know it has this uh almost fairy tale ish kind of quality but yeah and i i always felt like it was a nice representation of like a very romanticized view of europe but also one that we ourselves i think tend to uh kind of relish in sometimes or like uh, kind of that's that's it does kind of represent i think how europeans sort of dreamily look back on their own history and and their own uh, folklore and stuff yeah so it's it's kind of a caricature but it's it's not like a bad one no i wouldn't say so it's you can always ask the question like with there's also the um, uh jojo rabbit for example these movies that are about these really serious uh, parts of uh, uh, the Second World War, but then to present them in this kind of satire-ish manner, like, you can say, like, does that make light of the real events or does it make it more accessible by uh, having this extra layer of uh, detachment between the seriousness of the material and the uh, presentation of the movie, but... I never really had a strong opinion on that, really. I think um, generally most things are just fair game. Like, if you feel like this is a good way to tell the story, then go for it, I'd say. Um, It didn't, like... I I don't think I've ever seen a movie that really genuinely offended me in any way by tackling a movie without... Of course, I'm sure there's plenty of movies that tackle serious issues without any grace or um, consideration. But uh, I think in this case, it, uh, I, I can't imagine any uh, European person, I guess, uh, <laughs> finding offense right. in the way this yeah. movie depicts. Because it's ultimately it's it's it takes the setting of the Second World War, but I think the story is ultimately so much more than that. And I feel like maybe that's also why. Uh, Anderson deliberately wanted some distance between the re- real history and the kind of story as it's presented here, even though it's obviously set in or grounded in real history. And 
I'm not sure. I think it could have gotten away with if it just shown like the Nazis as actual Nazis and the flags as accurate, but um, right. It it does allow the movie to transcend history a little bit to become more of this a sort of timeless uh, myth that you could potentially like revisit. Yeah. 250 years from now when the actual history of war is long forgotten but like the sort of the symbolical archetypes um have are the only things that are still uh that have still survived and yeah i kind of i i I kind of like it in a sense because it sort of removes like accuracy from the conversation It's, Mm. it's just like oh it's not historically accurate because it's not even trying to be like a positioned in history it's just like it's an impression of a time somewhere that may have happened and it's a story about that that is uh i don't know but that doesn't that doesn't remove any of the legitimacy of sort of what it gets at emotionally in regards to war or uh Mm -hmm. sort of the um effect surrounding the cultural effect surrounding war is really what this this movie feels like it's about in in a certain way um which is like there's i was trying to think of how you would even describe what this movie is and mm-hmm. it's really hard it, it, even removing all the wes anderson bits it's really hard it's like it has elements of kind of like a a hitchcockian like political thriller like you know thinking of things like north by northwest or mm-hmm. um you know where there's like kind of not really political scheming but there's like a conspiracy and a little bit of a mystery and there's a jailbreak in the middle of it um but there's also this like ambiance of like of war and the impact of it that's there it's not really a war movie um but i know like i don't know if you've seen um bergman's the silence i think it's called um but that's like a Mm -hmm a film he kind of references in this one in a couple places. Um, and that's also a movie where it's just about like this woman and her son staying in a hotel in Europe and I, a war, I, I forget which one is happening kind of outside <laughs> and we never really see it. There's just like tanks mm-hmm. rolling down the streets, but it's also, it's kind of about this. Like I've never lived in a place where there's active war happening in my immediate surroundings, but I imagine these movies are about the, a very particular feeling that arises from being in that kind of scenario of just like, you know, I can imagine to some extent what it must feel like a sense of displacement or just like things around you having Mm -hmm. this great sort of instability or just like decaying and falling apart and, uh, people dying and things you know sort of like this world that you know sort of just disintegrating um Mm -hmm. so i think it's very much like yeah it's i think it's about that but there's not many movies i was trying to think of other movies that might be about about that Mm. specifically and i couldn't couldn't think of many i think there's some italian movies that tend to deal with the war a lot. I I once went to this sort of mini film festival where they showed like a lot of old Italian movies that sort of a lot of which tackled with this um, concept. You know, the kind of everyday life in a setting of war or like a a story that's not about war but set in the context of one. Um, but I'm having a I'm having trouble getting. Well, we don't. <laughs> we don't have to yeah. think of. I just. I guess my point there being like. I think there's this movie is about something very like unique that I'm not saying other films haven't depicted, but but what it's getting at as part of its like central thematic exploration is something that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think any movie this big and mainstream has explored that I can that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe our our listeners will, will, will think of something and can let us know in our discord or something. But um, uh. Cause I'm sure there's other good yeah. ones out there, but um, I think it's just, it's a unique film in that regard in terms of what it, mm-hmm. what is, what it's exploring thematically. Yeah. I think also what's interesting about the way 
this movie uses war is that it also becomes this larger metaphor for a descent into barbarism almost or this movement from or at least a perceived movement from like a state of civilization into one that's right. less so and that's also yeah. you know ob made obvious by going from a state of peace to a state of war but also yeah it's also kind of hinted at in the way the hotel world works in this sense and the whole um kind of vocation of this concierge and the lobby boy and uh which i think has some very interesting themes about the nobility in servitude and the kind of um decline or erosion of that in a time that moved further and further towards individualism where it's not so much about what you how you can serve someone else but it's more about how you know the story of you as a person right. um because that's one thing that fascinated me a lot about uh when i was watching it this time about the way the whole job is portrayed that the concierge or that gustav has and that he teaches to the lobby boy where's this it kind of sounds uh sort of depressing at first sight where you can <laughs> especially where you see the routine where he the lobby boy wakes up at 5 a.m then works till like 12 a.m or to midnight um and he has these little meals throughout the day and uh gustav too the, the one the little bit of time that he has for himself he sits alone in his room eating this cup of uh oatmeal or whatever and there's really like no place for personal living in that workspace yeah, right and nowadays we would look at that as a kind of as a, as a sort of state of failure almost that you you have no time for yourself you have no no name that you build up you know no career that you build up there's no story about you but at the same time there's something that feels as i said like there's, there's a certain kind of nobility in the way the movie depicts this complete sacrifice of self to dedicate your entire being to serving others and making sure other people have a great time or a pleasant time or whatever or get their needs met um which i think especially in today's culture is very interesting to consider how that transition may have happened from a time where there was more space for such thinking or such a cultural right. mind and a, a, a collective as well as an individual mindset like um towards one where um the idea of that kind of self-sacrifice to serve others has become kind of um undesired maybe or almost in some ways even unthinkable like it's i'm, I'm not sure what the best way to describe it is but yeah especially yeah. if you like think about what it means to have a career in this day and age like it means having a story about you you know you you are someone who came from somewhere and you have all these special experiences that made you unique you know you traveled to asia or whatever or you did some volunteer work there um and then you stay you know if you get a job then you stay there until it's served your needs and then it's time for like the, the next challenge of your career and then you know it, it, a career becomes like this highly individualized and personal yeah. thing instead of just like i'm gonna get a job and i'm gonna dedicate like the next i'm gonna stay there for the next four right. years of my life <laughs> yeah. and that's it um, well, what we have now is people who like their career becomes themselves like the you know the stuff we do is even to some extent you at least have like a name for your channel mine's just thomas flight and so it's like what what is what is my business it's it's Tom, it's thomas flight is my <laughs> is my career uh but that's like what the influencer online content creator personal brand a lot of like actors and director wes anderson himself is kind of this it's like what does wes anderson do well he he be he bees wes anderson he is wes anderson uh mm-hmm that's his whole thing but we see a re exact like reversal of that in this movie where there's moments where gustav h 
there's that moment where he kind of there uh they meet after the jailbreak he meets back up with zero he sort of says offensive things about zeros where he came from and all of this stuff and zero says like he had to leave because of this war and then gustav is like immediately struck by that and he apologizes but he's like the grand budapest hotel apologizes like uh for gustav h it's it's he's not his career he is the hotel and the hotel is is his career there's this like identification with the institution with the larger like body of the thing and like it's the opposite of the you know the thing being yourself um so yeah i think i think you're totally right that there's there's something there depicted there that is not um not common these days yeah yeah i guess you still see it in like the service industry but it's where it i think it's rightfully depicted as uh talked about as mostly in the negative in the sense that there's workers being exploited for the right for the sake of someone else um which i'm not sure uh the grand boot is the kind of service that the grand budapest hotel depicts you know that kind of even though it doesn't depict the lobby boy or the the kind of work that goes into the hotel as glamorous you know it does show it as as we said before like as hard work where there's barely any room for anything personal. But at the same time, there is, I, I don't know, there is some, like I've I've very briefly worked in a service position where it, it was like the most uh, like low effort, low responsibility job that <laughs> I ever yeah. had. Like it, it, it um, but even there, like I, did feel like especially in the moments where i wasn't feeling like the pressure from like a manager who's like uh, constantly on your case trying to get like more productivity out of you but when you're actually like engaging with the customers there were moments where that's genuinely like it, it, it does feel liberating in a sense that you can just help someone else and then see their like contentment or their their happiness or as fleeting as it is and as insignificant yeah. as it is it does feel like I, I can imagine it does there's a liberating quality to that to just not have to worry about anything about yourself and just have your whole purpose be directed to um someone else but it has to come from like a sort of voluntary position obviously like this um it's not a way to like condone slavery or exploitation or anything where uh the the sort sort of purpose or taking away the self becomes the purpose in its own right but um when it's done like voluntary and when it's done with like proper com compensation and then it, i think it can be a quality that we nowadays tend to dismiss too often where we right. try to consider more like what does this mean for me like how can i make this about me instead of asking like maybe it's might be more freeing to kind of uh think about how you can serve someone else or right right uh, yeah i'm not I sure think, if that made sense but no no i think it does i think a, a an important part of that dynamic is mm -hmm. like a sense of of ownership maybe not literal ownership mm. although we see that in this movie like eventually the hotel becomes a thing that gustav and then zero themselves own but yeah. in that identification when you have like a sense of stake or control in how you go about doing things or a sense of ownership in how you conduct yourself within a certain space i think that identification can be healthy because it's still yours in a sense I think a big part of why we see, especially in places like America, we see a, a trend very much away from this in like the service industry towards that atomized individualization is because like a service worker now, most places is so alienated from a sense of ownership. It's like, you know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're in service at a hotel, it's like you're working for that hotel and then that hotel is owned by this massive chain. And there's, you, you know, you probably have like a guidebook this thick of like, not, not like, not like cool, 
uh, like rules about how you do things like you see in this movie, but like mm-hmm. corporate policies about what you can and can't do. And it's like you have no sense of you can't develop that sense of identity in this thing that is yours that you get to part, you know, participate in uh, mm-hmm. because there's no like there's no sense of ownership. You're just like this tiny little, yeah. you know, ant in the the whatever. Um, I think also one element there might be that what you see in the Grand Budapest is that there's this sacrifice of self, but it's at the same time, it's this sort of you give yourself to the uh, largest soul of the business, so to say, or the larger yes. ideal that the hotel in this case represents. And so there's, there's a sacrifice of the self, but at the same time, there's this kind of encapsulation of the self into this greater ideal or that you find meaning in them as a as a someone who participates in the expression of that greater ideal and that's what yeah. you why in the movie it also the job is not so much about protocol as it is about like decorum and virtues and right like, even uh, there was this little bit where you you see that gustav gives these speeches and he like teaches them philosophy right. a little bit yeah and i feel like that in the real world equivalent nowadays that's the thing that might be missing like it feels like you're being you, the self is being neglected but at the same time there's no greater um identity that you then get to partake in it's just uh you're being robbed of yourself without getting anything in return and i feel like that might also be like more spiritually speaking yeah. the difference between the two um where it's yeah you just become emptied out without being given anything in return and that's um yeah one of the thing that's one of the things that makes uh, the the work that we see in grand budapest hotel so qualitatively different from yeah what we tend to see in like the corporate world of today unfortunately right. one last thing that yeah. makes sense that in response to that or in reaction to that when people no longer find like this greater identity in the work the work itself that it becomes more a burden on their own like they have to yes. now write their Find own that. story basically yeah. like they become their own biography that they have to write and instead of being able to kind of link themselves to this external larger identity that they then right. can yeah just connect themselves to and find meaning in and have that be sufficient yeah. if if anybody's listening to this wondering like i don't we're, neither of us are saying the the depiction of the job that Gustav H has is like realistic uh, mm-hmm. or like something that should actually is this like ideal that we could aspire to but I think it is, it's a caricature of a certain kind of like it's a symbolic caricature of a certain kind of engagement with like work or identity or an, in, an institution I think that's the other thing that Zero says at mm-hmm. one point he's like uh, he calls the Grand Budapest Hotel an institution and so there's a lot of this movie is about something that I think a lot of people have talked about, which is kind of this decay of institutions that has happened in the last, you know, whether it's like people had these identities to these different institutional structures, whether they were, you know, a business, a religion, a hotel, a church, a uh, a government body, you might like identify with this thing that has this broader purpose and then like part of your identity is an engagement with that in a very like sincere way but that's something we've seen very much begin to like uh go away i think to some extent where people are much more skeptical of institutions sometimes for very good reasons but regardless of whatever their pros and cons were there's there's something that are much less sort of like have have much less like draw in terms of being something that people latch their identity onto um we see other examples of that of what you're talking about in the movie so um agatha agatha yeah she also has this like you know she works for mendel and mendel's name is on the box but like she has this dedication to her work and it's part of like kind of her character and who she is and we also have uh kovacs who's this lawyer and he's like i work for the estate there's a there's a moment where where the kind of the baddies uh come come in 
uh, I'm forgetting everybody's name. Uh, the mm-hmm. Adrian Dimitri, the Adrian Brody character. Oh yeah. He comes in and he's like, who are you, who are you working for? And Kovacs is kind of like, well, technically I work for like the estate. He's like, I'm essentially saying like, I work for this institution, this, this like con this ideal concept. There's rules. I'm a lawyer. I can't just do what you want me to do. And he gets killed because of that by the bad guys. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that like throughout the movie there, you know, it's not just with Gustav in the hotel, but there's this, this like broader sense of this sort of like traditional identification with your work. And that is being sort of like undercut uh, throughout the, throughout the film. Yeah. 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 I think it also, there's a certain, there's one thing I want to talk about. I'm not sure if I'm trying to find the best bridge towards it. <laughs> well, but maybe we the, can just hard go into it and then yeah. we'll find there's our the, way back the, out. The sort of the more personal philosophy of justice, I guess, that Gustav has, which I think is also very interesting. I wonder if it, to what extent it fits into that larger concept that we were talking about just now. Um, right. Where once you are invited into, like once you've given yourself over to this, collective identity or institution that the institution is also becomes protective of you like it should be protective of you because that's this one of my favorite moments of the movie is quite early on actually is where um gustav has just started working with zero and they're in the train um i'm not sure what i think they go to the funeral anyways they're traveling by train and that's when they get stopped by the nazis or the not nazis but um and there's this uh there's there's some some um argument about zero's traveling papers and that he's actually um not he, he doesn't have the right visa or something like that um but then uh gustav he like responds very intensely he goes like you keep your hands off my lobby boy Right. And you see the movie takes like of the movie takes like this beat to show Zero's reaction, which I yeah, it's just one of my favorite moments of the, or might just be my favorite mo- moment in the whole movie, where he kind of recognizes or like sees how genuinely Gustav cares about him, even though he's just like his lobby boy, he's just a servant, but still he's like willing to, like stand for his principles to protect him and to kind of even at his own risk like to uh put his foot down to make sure he's protected and yeah um i don't know there's just something very beautiful about that in the way that he doesn't just take him under his wing as a sort of little lobby boy that he wants to get into shape for get you know get into shape for the work that has to be done but that he's also like taking care of him uh, or that he assumes like the full responsibility of what it means to take care of someone and to really protect someone and to take someone in that it also means that when it's like when there's trouble or when there's hardship that you also stick to those same principles and yeah, just take care of each other. And that's, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, love that little moment and uh, I'm not sure if there's a wider thesis there, but I just wanted to mention it. I mean, I think it's I think it's the side of Gustav that makes us like probably the most sympathetic to him is sort of the way he kind of takes Zero under his wing. And because he's he's kind of this like flawed, you know, he's like he's this flawed sort of character. He has this he has these ideals, but they're very it's this very romanticized vision of like high class society and how it should be, how it should conduct itself. And there's like a lot of elements of that that are, I think, admirable in in how he conducts himself, where there's sort mm-hmm. of a respect and like a, a respectfulness towards just people in general, even those even those who, you know, he's maybe um, in conflict with. He he has this sense of like, I'm going to treat you more or less as a human. You know, we see this that's shown again in the prison where like. He gives this one guy a bowl of mush and like recommends it and gives it some salt. And then that guy like has his back later on. So it's Mm -hmm. like there's kind of this this like, oh, we're treating each other as humans and we're treating each other decently. And I think that that 
is something that's very endearing. And then also, yeah, the way he's like just kind of taking uh, Zero under his wing and, and treating him mm-hmm. well and being protective of him um, and not just treating him like, oh, you're a lobby boy, so you you don't mean anything to me. It's, om- it's almost more like you're the lobby boy you're so you're the most important like yeah yeah a part of this institution um and then we we do find out later on that part of why he's like that is because he started out as a lobby boy so he also has this sense of um you know that was his path to where he is now um but also you know the character is like he's trying to he's trying to hold on to this thing that's slipping out of his fingers and and th- those, I think the the movie's relationship to that Gustav and his sort of ideals is interesting because they ultimately don't save him. Like they don't mm-hmm. really, I guess, I don't know. It's interesting. The that I guess that's yeah. where the melancholy comes from to some extent where it's like, you know, in some sense, the, the way he's behaving is like the reason he inherits the Grand Budapest Hotel and the reason he passes it on to Zero. Zero. Yeah. But like at the same time, my favorite probably my favorite line in the movie is just the in the end they shot him. The mm. the way that his story concludes off camera you know, inconsequentially. It's like and I I think that's where this connects to the like wartime themes of the film. It's just the way that like this one person's story, this this one person's way that they are trying to conduct their lives just ends up getting bulldozed by the the war, the broader yeah. movements of society. It's like that that those ways of behaving had a lot of like personal impact on Zero and on the people around him, but they had basically no long term like cultural impact or 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 mm-hmm. they just you know get completely uh, destroyed by culture. It, at least it feels like within within yeah. the movie. I think that also rings back to that quote that we mentioned earlier about that Gustav's world that already vanished long before he even yeah. entered it. Yeah. Um. So in that sense, he might be also representative of this sort of idealized version of humanity. Like, what if we all acted with decorum and respect and appreciated civility. poetry <laughs> yeah <laughs> then you know we wouldn't fall into the kind of uh barbaric uh destruction that we see happen in this movie or in the dis- distrust that uh, because you know he has there's this little conflict between the way he you know he because it's re- uh, established at the beginning that he tends to sleep with a lot of the older right, women right. at this hotel and to him, it's like he sees it as a sort of appreciation of of them, I guess. Like it, it seems to come from a place of love. But then uh, later when we hear it from Dimitri's perspective, I think it right. was, he kind of points out like he's been bothering us for like 20 years and he's just conning these old women into right. maybe getting like a piece of the inheritance when they eventually uh, pass on. But... I'm not sure, like, if that's if that's supposed to make us genuinely question the nature of his character, or that it's that it's more a sign of that the way his genuinely good intentions are misinterpreted by the outside world, which then again leads to that sort of decline and um, fall of uh, civilization that happens later on. But um, yeah. I, I don't know. There's something there about the way, about what Gustav represents and what the world really is, and to what extent, what that says about Gustav is he sort of a, an, kind of dreamlike ideal that humanity can never reach, or is it, never something? Is it something that's not us to begin with? Is it not something we would even strive towards, or, right. or if it, it was something that we genuinely once were in some. Uh, some regards at least that we have lost as we moved forwards but um yeah i guess it leaves it it's kind of left open to interpretation there's a lot of there's a lot of like loneliness loneliness in the character too and i think like longing for 
like a real acceptance and identification. Um, so I think, you know, that's to some extent a little bit of like a cap, not like a counter argument, but I think it balances out the idealism that it's, it's presenting of this position is like, you know, there's that little, there's a little tiny moment where in the prison, he's kind of, he's been sharing the Mendels with this one crew and they like start talking to him and they and they go, you're one of us. And he kind of is like suddenly fawns. He's like, oh, you know, that's such a wonderful thing to say. And it's like, I love the idea that that's not just him being polite, that like he deep, he as a character, and this is what I, I feel in the performance. Um, and this is where I think like Ray Fiennes is, is really elevating this character probably beyond what's even on the page a little bit is like mm. the, I feel like in that moment, he's not just being polite. He is like getting finally a little bit of what he has always desired, which is like to feel like he belongs as a, as a part of this like accepted in group. Um, and he does eventually kind of get that towards the end when he inherits the hotel. And then zero talks a little bit about how, you know, he was finally a part of this kind of world that he had always like looked at from the outside. Um, so I think there's this like, there's this longing for this identification with something um, that that maybe comes from this sense of, you know, displacement or being on the outside. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of I think one of the reasons this this movie. That's one of the things I appreciate about this movie is everything we're talking about is there completely underneath this like mostly comedic layer of whimsy uh but it's there when you look and also it's not but it's not just like um trying to squeeze in these these like simple thematic explorations of like small concepts that you know are easily resolved it's there's mm -hmm. a complexity there and it doesn't have an easy answer for us by the end of like uh you know, oh, this is the moral of the story. We should all be more like Gustav H because, you know, it's great. I think, yeah, I think there's a, there's a sense of this is a, this is someone's story. And if we get anything out of it, we get a sense of like the personal impact. Like I, the other part I love is, is, um, at the end when, uh, when he's the writer is asking why why Mustafa kept the hotel and he says he didn't do it for Gustav he did it for Agatha there's like there's such a poignancy at the end to like everything that mattered in this story ultimately was the personal connection between Zero and Mustafa and the 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 like the thing that is so important here was the thing that like Mustafa was almost too emotionally gripped by to even talk about. Like he keeps, he doesn't, he keeps not bringing up Agatha in the story because he doesn't want to talk about her because it's too like, mm -hmm. it's too emotionally heavy for him. But he eventually does a little bit. And it's like, that was all ultimately the most important thing is like, um, I don't know. I, I like, I like where it goes with that as well, where, you know, there's all this, all the hotel ultimately what is like, it is an institution and it provided these things, but that ultimately wasn't what was important. Like the only reason the hotel is important at the end is because that was where Zero and Agatha had some happy times together. It's like, because yeah, that's yeah. what mattered was that like personal connection. Um, so I don't yeah. know if the movie resolves anything, I think that's, that's kind of where, where it directs us at the end. Yeah. I I think I, yeah, I agree mostly with that. It's, uh, cause I was thinking, I haven't really talked about the love story yet, but it's, I think it's true what you say that it's deliberately pushed to the sidelines because, uh, it's, it's almost like Mustafa's almost deliberately like distracting us with Gustav's story to not in order to not have to talk about Agatha which is ultimately uh, as you said like the thing that he cared about most and the thing that 
moved him most deeply, the you know the, the most painful and the, also the most uh, beautiful memories of his life. Um, but yeah, I guess that does it does sort of complete that transition from you know if if the institutions are falling apart, if we can no longer find like like Gustav uh, like a full identity in like this larger cohesive identity then. Um, and maybe if you uh, if you kind of take Gustav's hidden loneliness into account, maybe it was never there to begin with. Arguably, then at least maybe you can find it in um, in in a romantic relation or just the relation that you have with those around you, those who are close to you. And the, yeah, I think that's as, as you said the best already. That is in the end what um, what the hotel really meant to um, Mustafa. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, be sure to follow us on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula. On Nebula, you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Last time we talked about the amazing Netflix show Beef, but before that we've also covered Fight Club, Babylon, Avatar The Way of Water, The New All Quiet on the Western Front, Drive, and many, many more. So you're really getting a whole new catalog of episodes. You can sign up directly at our Nebula page, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the description. Alternatively, you can support us on Patreon, where you'll find the Cinema of Meaning Discord community in which you can discuss movies with us and with fellow listeners. And the catalogue of bonus episodes is also available there. The link for that is also in the description. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning. I'll see you again next time.